0: Hi, this is Sandy Shore from SmoothJazz.com Global, and you're listening to the Follow Your Dream podcast with your host, Robert Miller. Everyone has a dream. Robert Miller is a
1: musician who had a dream to become a rock star. He followed his dream, and he succeeded. If you're ready to pursue and succeed at your dream, then listen up and get inspired and motivated to take action today. Welcome. To the Follow Your Dream podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Follow Your Dream podcast with listeners in 193 countries. I'm Robert Miller, your host. My guest today is Sandy Kay, longtime Australian TV and radio journalist and personality, who is the host of a terrific podcast called A Breath of Fresh Air. I happened upon Sandy's podcast totally by accident recently, and I was struck by the overlap of what she's doing compared to what I'm doing on this podcast. We're both fans of 60s and 70s music. She adds the 80s as well. I'm not such a big fan of the 80s. We both interview famous musicians from that era, And we've even had some guests in common. So I invited Sandy to be a guest on this podcast so that we could settle this turf war once and for all. I'm kidding, of course. And as you know, in each episode, I like to feature one of my songs underneath the introduction and at the end as well. And I always try to make it relevant somehow to my guest or the subject matter. And in this instance, I have chosen the song New York City groove that I wrote for the album Made in New York by my band project Grand Slam. Why did I choose it? Well, I chose this song because Sandy is based down under in Melbourne, Australia, but I'm a proud New York City guy. So Sandy Kay, welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast.
0: Well, thank you so much for having me. What a pleasure to be with you. It's terrific.
1: You know, it's amazing with the technology that we have these days. You can do this everywhere in the world. I mean, you're, what, 14 hours difference from where we are here. And it's kind of like we're in the next room from each other.
0: Yeah. Technology is amazing, isn't it? Imagine trying to do this some years ago. You could never have done it. I remember when I first started out as a journalist and, and had to research, I was fired from a job at a radio station because I used the phone too much to try and find guests for the host. Things have certainly changed in all that time, haven't they? They
1: really have. You know, when I was in college, I was on the radio and I kind of view this podcast as an updated version of being on the radio. You've been on the radio for quite some time. And I remember back then we had all of these kind of antiquated systems. We had teletype machines in order to get the news that was coming in from all over the world. And now, of course, everybody gets everything instantaneously.
0: Yeah, we've seen a lot of changes in our time, haven't we, Robert? Quite amazing. I mean, the kids could not relate to where we started out from. I mean, way before the internet was around, you had to research and find people. And the kids look at me today and say, how did you ever do it without the internet? And, you know, we had a phone and we had our ingenuity and our curiosity and we did it. We found them.
1: The problem with the phones is that if you made long distance calls, they cost a fortune. Okay. Now you can call anywhere in the world and it's basically, you know, for free.
0: Yeah, exactly. I got sacked because I ran up the bill too high at the radio station, trying to get guests like Mickey Rooney and a whole bunch of others on for my my radio host, which I managed to do, but they fired me because I'd run the bill up too high.
1: Oh, well, those were the old days. <laughs> All right, so listen, I want to hear about your career because you've had a longstanding, interesting career. How did you get into the media?
0: Well, I guess that's quite an interesting story. I was studying arts law at university, and I really hated it. It was so dry and so boring. I hated it. And, and when I'd been in primary school, we'd appeared on this For Schools uh, national television show, and the, the limousine used to come and pick me and, and my friend up from primary school and take us to the TV studios. Of course, that was in the days of film. And that whole studio had that amazing smell of film that I just fell in love with as a, as a seven-year-old. And then we'd do our shtick and and uh, the whole school would then watch this program in the theaterette some days later. So I was a bit of a celebrity at school. Even going back before that, though, I have to tell you, Robert, that as probably about a nine-year-old, My parents used to go out on a Sunday afternoon and my mother had this single stemmed blue vase for a rose. Yeah. And it was like a microphone. And I would move all of the furniture around the place and grab my microphone. And I would sit and interview at the time. It was the Beatles and Elvis Presley and the monkeys. And I would just talk to them all. So I guess I guess it was always in my blood. My father was devastated when I ran out of my my law degree and went to join the media. I ran off to um, the Gold Coast here in Queensland and I took a, I think I was, I wasn't quite 18 yet. I took a young girl that I was working with in, uh, I was working part-time while at university in a jeans store and I took her with me and she was a gorgeous looking girl and I had the mouse and I went up to the program manager and said. We want a job, and he said, "Well, I've got one job. We need a promotions person. You know, somebody to wear the bikini and and you know do the um, call outs on radio and get people to come on onto the beach and and win prizes and the like." I said, "We'll take it. We'll split it." I was such an idiot. I didn't even realise that would mean we would split one wage, and we starved for a year. We had great fun, but uh, what an idiot! I was just a mouth. <laughs>
1: All right. So I like the fact that at nine years of age or thereabouts, you're doing interviews, okay, or make believe interviews anyway. It recalls for me when I started out as a musician, I was learning how to play the guitar. And of course, at that time when the Beatles came out, everybody was trying to find an electric guitar, but who could afford an electric guitar? But what you reminded me of is, All of my friends and I, we all had these little Norelco reel to reel tape recorders Mm. and they came with a microphone and you could use the microphone almost like a mini PA system. But what we did was we took the microphones and we scotch taped them to our acoustic guitars because now we had electric guitars. So you were doing (laughs) interviews and I was doing my electric guitar.
0: (laughs) Isn't that funny? And I guess it's just meant to be, as I said, totally in our DNA. Yeah, I was having a great time interviewing imaginary guests. I was totally in love with Dinah Shaw. Do you remember her when she had her talk show? Of course. And uh, I just wanted to be like her. I wanted to be on that couch. Uh, interviewing guests for real so over the years I tried many times to come up with concepts for talk shows and um, join television entertainment programs I mean I did manage to play a role on on TV it wasn't quite what I'd imagined at some years earlier I was a a news and, and current affairs on camera reporter and then a producer so I had my fair share of the media I did a lot of work in in the entertainment scene as well on on TV and met some fabulous people And then ended up with my own radio show here where I finally got to interview whoever I wanted to.
1: Isn't that interesting? You know, uh, you made a comment about Dinah Shore. And I'm wondering, did Australia get all of the entertainment that we had in the United States, all the programs, all the TV shows, did did they get played in Australia?
0: Yeah, we certainly got a fair few of them. We were a country that, that was almost embarrassed Um, by itself. So we took everything from the US and from the UK. And there was a small smattering of Australian stuff that uh, nobody really liked. And I have to tell you the truth, they still don't really like today. So we grew up with the best of America and the best of the UK, which gave us a very broad uh, education, I suppose. And certainly in terms of music, We had all of the best of the UK and all of the best of the US all over the radio all the time.
1: All right. Well, let's talk about that, because you and I both have a love for the music of the 60s and the 70s. That's when I came of age musically. The whole British invasion era, you know, for me was that was it. Okay, all the bands that came through and we had in New York City where I grew up, we had three a.m. radio stations that played rock and roll, okay, at that time. There wasn't such a thing as FM at that moment. We had AM radio, which has a, a limited distribution, shall we say. Okay, I'm talking to people probably on this podcast that have no idea what we're discussing now because nobody listens to AM radio or FM radio anymore, given the internet. But back then, we had three stations that played rock and roll And when the British invasion hit, it was like nirvana because you could just go from one station to the other and hear all the greatest hits that were coming out of mainly England. Okay. And then, you know, that was was the era.
0: Yeah. I find it really interesting. A lot of the guys that I interview, the artists that I speak to say to me that the ones that went from Britain all they wanted to do was make it big in America. And the ones in America, all they wanted to do was make it big in Britain. So they were, they were tra- traversing the, the ocean, trying to make it big in, in the other continent. Everybody wants what they don't have, don't they? <laughs> the grass is always greener on the other side.
1: You're right. Most of the, the English guys, they took American music and they kind of redid it and transformed it and put it back together and sent it back to the United States. Exactly. And You know, we got introduced to a lot of indigenous U.S. music, if you will, through the British invasion bands. Okay, all the blues that was happening in this country. Kids at that time, I was a young teenager. I didn't know that music, but I got it from listening to the bands that were coming over from England.
0: Absolutely.
1: So I'm curious. You're not a musician, are you?
0: No, I only sing in the shower.
1: you know, I got into all of this because I was and am a musician. You were just a fan, I guess you would say, right?
0: Yeah, I feel like I never grew in my musical tastes beyond about 14 or 15. And I suppose that's Almost normal, although people tell me I'm stuck in the 70s and my kids always admonish me as that I still dance like I'm in the 70s. They were the best times. We were we were teenagers and we were having an absolute ball. So all of those the the artists and the music of the time conjure up the most wonderful memories for me. And I didn't want to move out of that period of time. When the 80s came along, I'd already started having children and even though my show concentrates a little bit on the 80s just to kind of make it a little more modern my my big love was always the 70s i was a little bit young for 60s music although i i think i must have started really early because i know all the words to so many of the 60s songs but in the 70s we were just living life it was just, we we were totally without a care and there was music everywhere so i never kind of went beyond that. I mean, I do like some of the music from today, but I'm not enamoured with it the same way I am with the seventies music. I mean, you know, you talk about people that you interview and I don't know about you, but I'm normally not very nervous with somebody that I interview. When I spoke to Mickey Dolenz of the Monkees, it turned me back into that 14 year old girl, that fan. I, I was gobsmacked about my reaction. I could hardly string words together.
1: Hi everybody, this is Robert Miller. My new single, All of the Time, is a playful, whimsical love song. It's light and airy and exudes the happiness and joy of being in love. The reviewers love it too. Melody Maker has given it five stars and calls it pure bliss, an intimate sound with abundant melodic riches. Pop Icon also gave it five stars and called it ecstasy. You can stream all of the time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, or any of the other streaming platforms. The links are in the show notes to this episode, and you can download it from the pgsstore.com. And if you haven't done so yet, please subscribe to the podcast and give us a nice review too, if you're so inclined. You can do all of that and check out all of our episodes by visiting our website at followyourdreampodcast.com. I want to thank you for listening and keep on rocking. All right. I want to know this. Who were your favorite artists back then?
0: So like everybody else at the time, I loved Elvis. I was a young, young girl and I was totally in love with him obviously never got to meet him speak to him or anything else he was gone way too soon and then as time went on i was just obsessed with the monkeys totally obsessed i couldn't i didn't want to like anybody that everybody else liked so i had to pick one of the more unpopular of the four
1: all right so which one of the four did you love were you a davy jones guy
0: no everybody liked davy jones okay so you were a mickey guy well I, i think i liked peter uh, you know what? I just nobody liked Mike Nesmith, um but uh, <laughs> they were they were sensational. they were just wonderful. I mean I missed the Beatles by a little smidge, but I remember that I must have been about eight years old. They came to Australia and my grandfather had a coffee lounge, a, a cafe. In the city here, and the Beatles went in to have their hair cut next door. And he went in and took some of the hair off the floor, John Lennon, Paul McCartney's bits of their hair, and gave it to me. Do you think I could find that?
1: Do you realize what you could have done with that? Okay, how much you could have sold that. What an idiot.
0: Yes. (laughs) Completely. I was also besotted with Muhammad Ali. I know that's not music related, but I was besotted with him.
1: I mean, he was the biggest celebrity in the world, okay? People don't realize that. I'm sure there's a generation of kids that don't even know who Muhammad Ali was. You know, he was the heavyweight champion of the world. But if you took a a poll and said, who is the most famous person in the world? Muhammad Ali was that person for a period of time.
0: Yeah, and he was so handsome. He came to Australia also in about 1978 when he was well And I was just a a cub reporter for a radio station in Sydney, and they sent me to cover the press conference there. And I I went along and all the press were gathered and uh, waiting for him to come out. And I grabbed my buddy who worked for 60 minutes and said, come on, let's go and find his room. I don't remember how we found his room, but we did. And we knocked on the door and he opened the door and he said, you go, you stay. And I sat with Muhammad Ali for the next two hours with my little cassette recorder, and I found this cassette just the other day, and he wow. gave me this whole dissertation of motivation according to Muhammad Ali. And, of course, he did all these radio station IDs for me, too, so I was the uh, the, the hit of the radio station.
1: So what did you do with that?
0: I've got the cassette still. I've done nothing oh with it. God, it's sitting here. Great. I should do something with that, too, shouldn't I?
1: Oh, that's fantastic. You know, I was invited to a heavyweight title fight. This is much later than the era we're talking about. And I was given ringside seats. This was uh, Evander Holyfield and George Foreman. I remember it. So this was in the 1990s. But the thrill for me was that Muhammad Ali was on one side of me and Joe Frazier was on the other side of me. And, you know, probably the greatest heavyweight title fight that ever took place during my lifetime was their first fight that took place at Madison Square Garden 1971. It was such an enormous occasion. And, you know, boxing back then was really a big, big thing. Okay, it's receded, I think, because the personalities are not the same.
0: That's exactly right. Again, the kids listening to this wouldn't have any knowledge of that, of how into boxing as a sport and as an entertainment source we all were, because they were huge personalities, those guys. It was fun. And Muhammad
1: Ali, for people that don't know, he had his title taken away from him for a period of time. And uh, I remember he came and he used to do speaking tours at that moment because he couldn't box. This was in the 60s. He was exonerated by the Supreme Court. because This had to do with the draft in the United States. And he refused to serve in in the armed forces when, when he was drafted. And he asked for a religious exemption and they didn't give it to him. And finally, the U.S. Supreme Court exonerated him. But during that period, it was three years in the prime of his career, he went around and he used to do these inspirational talks that you're referring to at colleges. And I remember seeing him at college and he had, had us all spellbound for two hours. He was a marvelous entertainer as well as a boxer. Yeah, yeah. Lucky you. Tell us some other people that you've interviewed that are kind of off the beaten path like that.
0: Um. The Queen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I we're was talking uh, about
1: the real Queen.
0: The real Queen, yes, not the band, the Queen.
1: Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I I interviewed the guy who plays Freddie Mercury in Killer Queen. Okay. All right. But you you're like ten steps above me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so how did that come about?
0: Well, I was working for a television station as their news reporter, and we were invited to attend. The Royal Yacht Britannia when she came into town to, to meet her, and they filled you up with all the protocol that you had to adhere to. Again, as a eighteen or twenty year old, I wasn't interested in protocol whatsoever. So um, I had my little microphone ready, and and as she was walking down the line greeting everybody, I kind of bailed her up and threw a few questions at her, which she was she was completely abhorred by. But she answered me, and. uh, that was an interesting experience. Did you have
1: to like do the curtsy thing, and yeah, but you know, I didn't
0: want to do that. That's exactly what they said you have to do.
1: Surprised You didn't get arrested.
0: I, I didn't get arrested, but they wrote about me in the newspaper the next day, saying what a uh, what a cheeky reporter I was that I wouldn't adhere to these protocols.
1: <laughs> uh, good for you. you know, sometimes you have to go out of the the ordinary.
0: Yeah, you got to be a bit different. I think. Um, who else have I spoken to that I really loved? I chased Peter Frampton for months and months and months and I really enjoyed speaking with him. What a lovely man. Uh Um, You're talking about getting nervous. I had a chat with Graham Nash from Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young the other day and I found myself a little bit nervous speaking with him because I suppose I've been so in love with their music. Again, I I, I reverted into being this 14-year-old girl.
1: Were you a fan when he was in the Hollies as well?
0: Uh, no, the Hollies were a little bit
1: before your time.
0: Yeah, a little bit before my time. Uh-huh. Yeah. Who else have I got?
1: Well, I know you did some overlap with some guys that I have interviewed on this show. You spoke with uh, John Helliwell from Super Tramp.
0: Oh, from Super Tramp. Yes, that was fabulous. Yes, he was a real treat. I loved yeah. Super Tramp. Totally. Yep, I did too. Do you remember the, do you remember the band Pavlov's Dog?
1: Oh, I don't.
0: Oh, okay. They were huge here. American. Um, I spoke to him. He was, uh, uh, there was kind of an obscure band, but they were, they were absolutely huge here. So often we found here in Australia that some of the stuff that wasn't quite as big there was huge uh, in this country.
1: Well, my favorite Australian group in the 60s was the Easy Beats, Friday on my mind.
0: Yeah, they were they were just fabulous, weren't they? They were, and if, and ACDC is Australian, am I right? Yes, completely. As were the BGS. Well, we lay claim to the BGS. Yes, of course, we even lay claim to groups like Split Ends, even though they came from New Zealand. So anybody that was good that's from this part of the world, we say that they're ours.
1: <laughs> what is the scene like? The music scene like in Australia these days, is it vibrant or not?
0: Post-COVID, it's just yes. starting to pick up again now. Yeah, there are lots. I mean, we we're were usually inundated with travelling bands, not only Australian ones, but all the ones from the UK and the US, so they all tend to come here in our summer, which works out really well for them because they tour, say, in the US during your summer and then they'll head down, down under for our summer, which is obviously your winter. Um, they're starting to come back but certainly not as much as as they used to. And the local Australian bands are finding it a little bit tough. They're back out on the road again, and they're really happy with that. But we're having a terrible winter right now. Uh, COVID is higher than it's ever been. This is our third winter of COVID, and the numbers in hospital and the numbers dying are, are more than they have been the past two years. And it's a terrible flu season. So watch out where you are because the flu and COVID are both coming back. That's, we might be 14 hours ahead, but we are, we are diseases ahead of you.
1: You're correct. I mean, COVID just will not go away. And the prognosis is that it's not going to go away. No. And uh, it has interrupted everybody's life, for, not just entertainers and musicians, but just everybody in general. And, Hopefully one day we will not be thinking of it the way that we have to deal with it these days, but it certainly affected me. The reason I started this podcast is because in January of 2020, I put out the last studio album that I did with my band, and we were all set to go out and play behind that album. And the last gig that we had was in February, and then March of 2020, the world shut down. And I said to myself at that point, what am I going to do? We couldn't rehearse, we couldn't record, we couldn't play, not just my group, of course, but everybody. And that's when I got introduced to the concept of a podcast. Somebody had said to me, well, you know, you could do something called a podcast and you could get perhaps a deeper relationship with people than social media. And I was never satisfied with the relationship that was established on social media. I think it takes no effort whatsoever to hit a like button. But the long-form nature of a podcast gives you an opportunity to really develop a relationship. Would you agree?
0: Absolutely. I, I love podcasting. My show, A Breath of Fresh Air, started out really at the same time. The pandemic had hit. And previously, I'd been doing live entertainment reports to a host of radio stations, mainly just for the lifestyle. So I get tickets to movies, to shows, to, to whatever. And when people stopped coming in to do their shifts at radio stations, a couple of them reached out to me and said, could you could you fill the hour for us, please? Because we've really got holes in programming everywhere. So, okay, I'll try and do that. So I learned to build a radio show on my little laptop, and a radio show consists of very tight segments. I mean, when we were working in in daytime radio, the longest interview you'd have would be maybe six to eight minutes. So it was like six segments per hour, which is a whole lot of guests that you're ripping through. So I built this radio show and started sending it out, and, and uh, more and more radio stations were coming to me and saying, can I have it? Can we use it? Can we use it? Sure. So I've given it to something like 150 radio stations right around the world from from Bolivia to Kenya through the US and Canada and, and the UK and Thailand and the Philippines, a whole lot of countries, and they're loving it. Then I probably should have put it up as a podcast then, but didn't really think too much about it. And I only started thinking about podcasting when I thought I'm doing all of this work. I'm paying an audio engineer in Brazil to mix and master it. So it sounds, uh, the levels are really good and it sounds very polished. I'm going to have to try and recoup my money. This can't go on forever. So I put it up as a podcast and gradually I've been scaling what was the radio show back to podcast format, which is a whole lot less cumbersome so I still feature three interviews per episode where you know regular podcasters like yourself are featuring one interview per podcast my show is still exactly 52 minutes in three segments every single week because it does go out to all these radio stations and they put their ads and news and everything in between them but uh, I think come The summer months here, when I finally get a little bit of a break, I'm going to pair it right back and do one interview, too. Yeah, it's a lot. What you're doing now is a lot. And, you know, I think I mentioned to you earlier that my partner wants to go to Europe in September. He's booked a ticket for himself. He said, can you come? I said, I actually can't get four weeks ahead of my show in order to join you. And I'm not even getting paid for this. This is ridiculous
1: welcome to podcasting you yeah. know you, your show reminds me a little bit of kind of a magazine format that's what we would have called it in the exactly. in the us because you've got these different segments it's kind of like a, a television type format and i understand because of your background but you don't want to kill yourself doing this at the same time okay no, so i want to exactly see you go not. back to this you know one interview <laughs> per episode that that's my uh, that's my <laughs> message to you Uh, Listen, it's been fabulous to speak to you. We've been talking to Sandy Kay, who is a remarkable lady, has done so much in Australia in radio and television, and now she's involved in podcasting, and she and I are doing similar kind of things in our respective shows. I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast, Sandy. And uh, we're now going to listen to that song that I started off the episode with. It's my song called New York City Groove. I want to thank you all for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode. Thanks, Sandy.
0: Thanks, Robert. Thanks for
1: listening to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast so you don't miss another inspiring episode. You can connect with Robert at robert at followyourdreampodcast.com. And you can hear more from his band at projectgrandslam.com and at thepgsstore.com.